Hi, I'm Deanna Dalsett of Fair Oaks Antiques here with this week's story. I am a paint-by-number collector. Many may mock paint-by-number paintings, saying the works are kitsch, meaning they are of poor taste. Even those who love kitsch in an ironic or humorous way may discount paint-by-numbers by saying they are not art, they are conformism. But knowledgeable collectors of PBNs like myself know that these works are important cultural icons in anything but conformism. The mere popularity of paint-by-numbers is a very American thing. Inspired by childhood memories of coloring and the art history lesson of Michelangelo assigning his students to paint pre-numbered sections of his famous Sistine Chapel, paint-by-numbers hold significant places in both mass merchandising commerce and the freedom of anti-establishment. The matter of paint-by-number paintings being art, or rather not being art, wasn't really an issue in the 1950s. Recreation specialists and home economists have begun to speak of hobbies as more than a way to beat the unemployed Depression-era do-nothing blues and more than a way to improve morale, but to see these things as the fifth freedom, along with freedom of speech and worship and freedom from want and fear. The prevailing wisdom of the post-war period was that creative hobbies enhanced life and made it worth living, prompting popular celebrities like Frank Sinatra and Dinah Shore to paint his pastimes, with Sunday painters like President Eisenhower and Winston Churchill, even the military had adopted this mindset, setting up hobby craft shops in the Pacific Theater and opening the first hobby craft shop in the Almeda Naval Air Station in California. In 1952, an amateur painter in San Francisco entered and won third place in an art competition with one of the craft master kits. Both the press and the public had a field day noting how judges could not tell the difference between a paint-by-number work and modern art, an art style in its heyday, but one many people at the time were confused by or fed up with. This was the tipping point for paint-by-numbers. It became so popular that the White House even hung paint-by-number paintings by J. Edgar Hoover, Nelson Rockefeller, and others in a West Wing corridor along with other artists' original works. Carol Ann Marling, professor of art history and American studies at the University of Minnesota, has written several books about the sensibilities of the 1950s. In her book, As Seen on TV, The Visual Culture of Everyday Life in the 1950s, Marling paints the PBN trend as an outgrowth of World War II hobbyism rather than a sign of conformity. Here's a quote from that book. National surveys taken in the 1930s, when the Depression curtailed spending on equipment and travel, disclosed a sedentary pattern of recreation. Respondents were reading magazines and listening to the radio and visiting with friends. What they really wanted to do, however, was to play tennis and golf, plant a garden, go swimming or skating. In the 1940s, wish became reality. Between 1947 and 1953, Revenues for spectator sports and amusements showed a marked dip, despite increases in population and income and the insatiable demand for TV sets. Market research proved that it was the heaviest TV watchers who were liable to be the most interested in painting a still life or repolstering the living room sofa. Power tools and other do-it-yourself accessories were a $12 billion industry by the end of the decade. 30 million more went for amateur art supplies. There seems to be a major trend away from passive crowd amusements towards active pursuits 
that people can carry on independently concluded a highly regarded study of this changed America with plenty of time on its hands. More than any other pastimes which grew out of this time, a do-it-yourself spirit was also a way for a man, woman, and child to find his or her way in this new world. It was nonconformist. Marlin continues, do-it-yourselfism in particular was the last refuge for the exercise of control and competence in a world run by the bosses and the bureaucrats. It was a throwback, a rebuke to a bite-in-the-box world of TV dinners and ready-made everything. As Michael Kimmelman wrote in 1994 in Art View for the New York Times, article titled Painting by Numbers, How Bad Was It? He said, paint by number enthusiasts and abstract expressionists alike were affected by the same 50 zeitgeist, the tension between social structures and personal freedom. Painting can now be an enjoyable pastime, a therapeutic outlet, not only reserved for the trained and talented. However, painting by a kit was a very American idea. Marling says paint by numbers were, quote, the most American thing you can imagine in that you package up everything you need in the box instead of going through lengthy instruction in how to paint or how to mix colors. It was a personal experience for the painter. She continued, you could almost call it supermarket Freudianism. While some object to the stamp boards of sameness, which are to be painted according to ordained rules, we PBN collectors know that many did paint outside the lines, adding images, painting over what they didn't like, or otherwise personalizing their works. And even when folks didn't, they still produced unique folk art pieces. The kits may have been mass-produced, but individuals created each painted piece. Many say that the paint-by-number heyday is long over, yet the continue, kits continue to be painted and continue to be made. Some say this is primarily the pastime of children, but one needn't look any further than the adult coloring book phenomena to see that adults enjoy creative outlets too. It's obvious in the popularity of shows like NBC's Making It, an entire cable channel dedicated to DIY programming. Thanks to the current pandemic, crafting has exploded. The Smithsonian, which had an exhibit of paint by numbers in 1921, Many say that the paint-by-number heyday is long over, yet the kits continue to be painted and continue to be made. Some may say this is primarily the pastime of children, but one needn't look any further than the adult coloring book phenomena to see that adults enjoy creative outlets too. It's obvious in the popularity of shows like NBC's Making It and the entire cable channels dedicated to DIY programming that creativity is on the rise. Thanks to the current pandemic, Crafting has exploded. The Smithsonian, which had an exhibit on paint-by-numbers in 2001, noted that the lockdowns have resulted in hands-on hobbies gaining traction as relaxing alternatives to screen-heavy activities. Etsy, arguably the world's largest e-commerce website for craft supplies and handmade items, has documented the uptick in the DIY trend. In May of this year, Etsy said that there had been a 346% increase in searches on the site for DIY, and a whopping 950% increase in searches for embroidery kit. There were huge gains in other specific classic crafty hobbies 
as well. Clearly, there are shades of what Marling noted in the 40s and 50s happening right now. And there are other similarities as well. The original paint-by-number kits consisted of rolled canvas, like window shades, and numbered glass jars containing paint. Though they were mystery pictures, where the painter only discovered what they were painting after applying the appointed colors. If this reminds you of today's trend of mystery boxes, you are not alone. Loot Crate is often credited with the mystery box phenomenon, beginning with the subscription service in 2012. Since then, it has become clear that it's human nature to delight in surprises, even when they aren't your own. One needn't go any further than the huge number of views on YouTube unboxing videos to see the vicarious entertainment value of simply watching someone open and reveal the contents of a mystery box. A rather jaded Luke Winky at Box says, the appeal of mystery boxes is based on how much fun it is to unwrap presents. He said, quote, essentially the mystery box gambit is a clever trick to fool millennials into paying for a year round Christmas experience. But I say the huge popularity of the mystery boxes is proof that you shouldn't underestimate the power of anticipation, of human curiosity, the love of surprise, or for that matter, the love of having an experience, not just an object. Crafty types, especially those who love to work with ephemera and found items, have always loved a mystery box. Only we've known them by their vintage name, grab bags. The act of grabbing a wrapped random item or a bag containing an assortment of miscellaneous items without knowing the contents has always been been a thrill. It began for me when I was a kid, primarily because it was an affordable thrill. It continues today because the serendipity of discovery leads to creative inspiration. The Germans aptly called grab bags Wundetute, and I think that encapsulates the joy so well. Like paint by numbers, mystery boxes and grab bags may seem kitschy, simple thrills for easily entertained minds, but their popularity exposes so much more about our culture about what we crave, and I think that the dismissal of them is rather sad. There's nothing wrong with a joyful creative experience, whether we stay in the lines or not. This has been Deanna Dulcet sharing this week's story for Fair Oaks Antiques. You will find images and links to sources at our website, wehaveyourcollectibles.com. Fair Oaks Antiques sells online and in the Fargo, North Dakota, Moorhead, Minnesota area exclusively at Fargo Antiques and Repurpose Market, a.k.a. The Farm, in booths number 25 through 27. Thank you for listening, and we appreciate it when you share our podcast with friends.